All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 55 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. You have just the Biohacker Babes today and we wanted to share our experiences with using continuous glucose monitors. So we've been posting a lot about our experiences on Instagram and we've gotten some great questions. So we thought, why not do a whole episode about what we've learned so far? And just to give you a heads up, we are having Dr. Casey Means from Levels Health on our podcast in just a few weeks. So she will be sharing a little bit more of the science and really what her company is trying to do with CGMs um, around the world. So hang tight for that. We'll have a lot more science in that episode. But in the meantime, we wanted to share what we've learned, just like our own trial and error using these devices. And even if you can't get your hands on a continuous glucose monitor, 
we will give you some tips on how you can use a simple, inexpensive glucose monitor at home to get similar benefits. So hang in there either way. So brief overview of really what the CGM is. So if you're not familiar with this device, it's basically something that um, we personally wear it on the back of our arms, but it continues to track your glucose trends throughout the day. So it's 24-7 tracking, makes it much easier than the other glucose testing options. So other options that are available, you know, you've probably heard about fasting glucose. A lot of doctors will run that, right? They'll tell you, we need to get lab work, but you need to be fasting. And that's because they want to see what your glucose is in the morning. It's great, but it's just a snapshot of what's going on in that moment. Uh, We also have A1C testing, another great measurement. It's looking about at a three-month average of your glucose. So again, great number. And that's actually what we're using to look at prediabetes and diabetes. And then finally, we have just a simple like finger prick glucose monitor. I recommend everyone invest in one of these. You know, you can get one on Amazon for like 20 bucks. But the downside is you have to be pricking your finger throughout the day. No one wants to do that all day long. So the CGM is really like the future of glucose testing. I think if everyone could get their hands on one, it would be amazing. I agree. (laughs) It's pretty hard to get your hands on one, but now that we have it, I love mine so much. I woke up this morning. I don't know what this timing was, but mine expired this morning. So each each one lasts for 14 days. That's normal, but I, we have like a stock of them. So I just replaced it every 14 days, but it was my last one that I have physically at my home right now. And I was really sad that it expired this morning. That's how much I love it. Like, I don't So I'm going to have to wait a bit to get another one. But they are really hard to get your hands on. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, Renee. But we think this is a really useful tool, not just for biohackers, but a lot of biohackers are doing it because we're just curious people and we want to see how life affects us in every possible way. But we really think that the general population needs to have access to this because right now they're only widely accessible to diabetics or pre-diabetics. We are not diabetic, though we will explain why we are really interested in this. We both have several genetic factors that predispose us to diabetes. So we don't have it yet, but we're just always on the lookout. And this is part of preventative health, looking ahead and preparing our bodies you know, before something is a problem, but it's really hard to get your hands on these things because doctors, unless you're sick, do not understand why non-sick people would want one of these. And we both have had some (laughs) interesting stories trying to get our hands on it, but luckily there are some companies now that are allowing these to the healthy population, which is really cool. So yeah. And actually right when I posted that I got one, I got so many other biohackers messaging me like, how did you finally do it? You know? And one of my friends said he's been working really hard to get one. And his doctor said he would approve it if he could prove he had a hypoglycemic response. So he had to prove through his, you know, finger prick glucose monitor that his glucose went below 50 after some meal. And he's super healthy. Again, he's just trying to be preventative. And he was like, I don't want to force my glucose to go below 50. Like that's dangerous to do just, just to get a free test. It always sounds like malpractice. Can you just force your blood sugar to be really low to prove? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. When I originally was trying to get my hands on these before I knew, we'll tell you more about, uh, these two companies, unlock levels and NutriSense, which we're using before we knew about these two companies, I was making doctor's appointments. Like I went ahead and just scheduled with several different doctors because I kind of knew it was going to be difficult. 
and two of them were in person, two of them were virtual. And I like had my case already. I was like, I need to do this. I have these genetic predispositions. I really want to be proactive. And all of them across the board laughed at me and said, you're not sick. So denied, denied, denied. You can't have one. Like, why are you wasting my time? I was like, why are you wasting my time? I paid money for this consultation and I'm trying to take responsibility of my health, but um, yeah, it's kind of like the people that don't qualify for lap band surgery. So then they go and they eat like crazy and gain a hundred pounds and then they qualify. Yeah. You know? There's nothing wrong with the system there. That's not right. I mean, yeah. it is a lot of it is problems with insurance. We know that unless you're really sick, insurance probably isn't going to kick in, but hopefully we're in the right direction. And luckily we have these two companies, Unlock Levels and NutriSense, which are paving the way. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So more people will will be uh, able to access them. I was going to plan a trip to Canada just so I could go in and get one because they're, you can get them over the counter there. That's amazing. That's a good yeah. excuse to go to Canada. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Can't go there right now though. Oh, true. You'd have to sneak across the border, I guess. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so Lauren, do you want to share like why people would want to use this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big thing. So unmanaged and imbalanced glucose levels are a major driver of disease. And we know the obvious downstream effects, of course, are diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome. But I think some of the lesser known effects are cardiovascular diseases, Alzheimer's, mood disorders, depression is a really big one, even chronic pain and neuropathy. If you're not managing your blood glucose, which involves a lot of different hormones, you're basically throwing off of your hormones. You're just going to wreak havoc throughout the body. So it's really important to keep this stable. And I think there's a major indicator of stress in the body and we want blood glucose to be flexible enough that it can rise. We need it when we eat, right? When we're taking in nutrients. So I don't want to get into too much science because we are going to have some experts on soon, uh, like Dr. Casey, but, uh, we want blood sugar to be flexible enough. Like it is supposed to rise after we eat, but then it's supposed to come back down. I think a lot of people either have really elevated levels or, uh, levels that are too low and that is unmanaged and that is stressful to the body. So we're just trying to bring the body into homeostasis. And that is sort of like the mechanism that's in place here. That's the system. Your blood sugar is trying to keep your body in a state of balance, right? We're always coming back to this balanced state. Anything you want to add to that, Renee? Yeah. I mean, the CGM really helps you evaluate how different foods affect you, obviously, but the other things it looks at is exercise, sleep, stress, So a lot of other things can affect your glucose, not just what you're eating. And that's why the 24-7 monitoring is really cool. Um, Being able to see what your glucose is doing all night long when you're sleeping, I mean, there's no other way you could do that without a CGM. So that's pretty amazing. And then, you know, we're always talking about how to optimize and personalize your diet. And we know that real-time data is really the best thing. So that's why we love things like the Aura Ring and testing your glucose. It's real-time data. Everyone is different. You know, we're always preaching that bio-individual nutrition. So that's where some things like gut testing would come in. We love Viome. We love day two. But I think that the CGM really like takes all those results to the next level because it is giving you that information 24-7. Yeah. And just back to the the finger pricking, like I was doing that using my Keto Mojo before I had the CGM. And it's really hard to be pretty diligent about it because you want to do like the postprandial, like an hour after, two hours after. And I know I always attempted to do that, but I kind of lost track of time. And then there was, you know, you have to have like a very specific journal to actually get information from that data. And I like that 
the CGM and then the app that links with the CGM just lays it all out for you. It provides like a really nice graph. You can put in your meals. I think with your app, Renee, you can take pictures of your food. Is that true? Yeah. I just snap a photo of what I'm eating, which is nice because like you said, when I was doing my own glucose monitoring with the finger prick, I was writing down, okay, two eggs, one tablespoon of butter. Like it was kind of a lot versus now I just snap a, snap a photo and I, I know what that meal was. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And really looking at what your glucose goals are. So the only downside is there's not a ton of research on CGM use for non-diabetics, because like we said, this is mainly being used by diabetics and pre-diabetics. So we're still trying to figure out, I say we, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm doing the research, but so the researchers are trying to find like, what is the optimal glucose reaction after meals um, for a healthy individual? So just to throw some numbers out there, what they're kind of estimating is fasting for a healthy individual. We want to see about 72 to 85 and then post meal 110 or lower, and then average for the day under 100. And then they also are seeing the post meal glucose should spike about 45 to 60 minutes after the meal. And that's why we always recommend, you know, do your fasting glucose and then have your breakfast, set your timer for one hour, test then, write it down, set your timer for one hour later, and then write that down. So those three numbers are super helpful. And I think if you have like a go-to breakfast that you love, do this test. So simple. You just need two finger pricks and you'll figure out, is that meal good for you? You know, I have so many clients, I don't know what it is about oatmeal in the morning, but people just like don't want to let go of their oatmeal breakfast. So I'm like, okay, you can keep it. If you do this test, you do the glucose test and send me your numbers and I'll let you know if you can keep it in or not. (laughs) And some people actually can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, and then really we want to look at the trends throughout the day. So like Lauren said, it's about that flexibility. So you don't ever want to see like a crazy spike and then a crazy drop. It's really like, I always like to say slow and steady wins the race. That's so true with glucose. So a little up and down is normal, but overall for the day, pretty steady trend. And then the other really cool thing about this is, like I said before, the 24 seven monitoring, um, you just, you can't beat that. And, and we're definitely going to share some of our experience, what we've learned with non-food related reactions. Yeah. Not to give it away, but non-food experiences or situations actually have a much more dramatic effect on my levels than food. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting to hear you read out those numbers that are currently out there for research average of 100 or, or lower. I know my average is a little bit above 100. Hmm. Uh, and So one of the main reasons why I'm interested in this is I know that I'm predisposed to certain risk factors for diabetes and uh, Renee has one of those too. And we know this from running our genetic reports through Found My Fitness. So a couple different steps flagged for predisposition to diabetes. So it's just something that we need to like keep an eye on. And now that I've been testing, it's really interesting because the foods that I thought would spike me don't. So some of my specific SNPs, uh, PGC, one alpha, and that's an increased risk for type two diabetes. But interestingly enough, I was reading further down the list because I kind of go into what um, can affect the expression of this. And I found that expression is reduced with fasting and cold exposure. So I was like, yes, I love cold exposure. I can do that. Uh, but I have the same SNP. So boo. So ha, <laughs> take a cold shower, Renee. <laughs> And fasting, which I've been experimenting with, and I have had incredible results. I'll go into it a little bit more in in a minute, but I was like, yes, check, tick on that one. I know that is helpful for me. 
I also have the IRS SNP, which same thing, increased risk for type two. It's an insulin receptor substrate. And then this is a long one, MTNR1B. I don't know what the long version is, but that's impaired glucose tolerance with a late dinner time, which I'm always trying to move my food a little bit earlier because I want my hormones to transfer into that nighttime mode, get me ready for sleep and recovery. So I'm always trying to shift my dinner to be earlier, but this was like another uh, like check mark. Like, yes, that is exactly what I sh- should be doing. So I like that I have all this information to sort of help me understand the risk factors, but also help me to kind of stay on track in that way. What tips do you have, Renee? So I'm looking at my list and I'm like, are you sure we're related? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I have the same one, the PGC1 alpha, same increased risk for type 2 diabetes. And the IRS1, I also have that increase for type 2 diabetes. But then the MTNR1B, I am the opposite, which is interesting. I I have normal glucose tolerance with a late dinner time. And I'll share what's going on with my late night blood sugar when we get to that. So that's okay. really interesting that genetically I can maybe handle a later dinner time. But then I have all these other increased risk uh, markers for diabetes. So I have the FTO SNP. We kind of call it the fat SNP. So when we have that, it's saturated fat and may have a negative effect on blood glucose and insulin levels. Also a possible increased risk for obesity and type 2 diabetes. Um, so for anyone that has told me, oh, Renee, you can eat whatever you'll be, you'll always be skinny. Like, no, maybe not. Cause I have this genetic risk factor that says I could actually, if I eat too much saturated fat, I have an increased risk for obesity. So I have to be really careful with that. And then I had another SNP related to saturated fat. So the, uh, ACE, which is impaired glucose metabolism in response to a high saturated fat diet. So again, for me, I got to watch the saturated fat. And then the last one was the FABP2, which is a moderate increased sensitivity to refined sugars, which is no shock to me. I have to be super careful with refined added sugars in my diet. So everything kind of makes sense. I didn't... Wait, what was that last one you said? The FABP2? Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at that one up because I didn't see that come across on mine. Oh, okay. I'd be curious to see what yours is there. So I'm just searching for it. Uh, It's unavailable on my test. So I guess that's not a factor for me. Interesting. Oh, okay. Oh, good to know. We are all so individual, even though related. Yeah. Hey, biohackers. Renee here. I wanted to interrupt today's episode to tell you about an energy and immune boosting drink Lauren and I have been drinking for years. If you tend to crash after your morning cup of coffee, we have a great solution for you. Four Sigmatic provides these powerful mushroom elixirs, including my personal favorite, the Lion's Mane Coffee. It still has some caffeine, so I get a little boost from that, but it also has the powerful Lion's Mane to boost brain power, as well as Chaga, the king of mushrooms, for an extra immune-boosting effect. This is all rounded off with some rhodiola, which we know is really good for stress levels and for adrenal function. And this is just one of their many amazing products. So check out their website to learn more. And we will put the link to Four Sigmatic's website in our show notes. And don't forget to use our code biohackerbabes to get 15% off. We hope you enjoy it. So what have you found, Renee? What's working? What's not working? What's been a surprise? Yeah. So I've only had mine for two and a half weeks. I just started my second sensor, but I feel like I've learned a lot in a little bit of time. So number one thing is my blood sugar drops while I'm sleeping. 
So the first week I was really seeing this, like some, my numbers were going down like into the sixties, into the fifties, which when your blood sugar drops, especially when you're sleeping, your body thinks it's an emergency and it will release cortisol. And if cortisol comes up high enough, it will wake you up. Now I tend to maybe wake up at like two or three, I go to the bathroom, I go back to bed. I can typically fall back asleep, but I am wondering if there's a correlation there with blood sugar dropping, cortisol increasing in the middle of the night. And if Mm -hmm. that's happening, you're not getting restful sleep. And I'm always trying to hack my sleep. So what I played around with for a couple nights was I did, and I learned this from Dave Asprey, one tablespoon of nut butter and one teaspoon of raw honey. When I do that within 30 minutes of bedtime, my glucose stays around 70 the whole night. So that was kind of interesting. And that goes back to the glucose tolerance for late dinner, right? Because I'm the same way. I'm like always trying to finish dinner by 6 p.m. so I can get my fast in. I'm still mm-hmm. eating an early dinner, but then right before bed, I'm doing this little little snack and it seems to be working. Alcohol, always, always a shocker here. My lowest numbers were within one hour of a drink. And I typically just drink like tequila, mezcal on the rocks with some lime juice. So I'm not adding sugar to it. It's just pure alcohol. My numbers would plummet to like 65, 60, 55. Gosh, just so low. I've never seen anything close to that on my monitor. Yeah. Crazy. So I'm really staying away from that. But I found when I combine that with food, I just have a really steady glucose. I don't have a spike. So maybe it balances out like the food maybe is spiking, the alcohol is making it drop. So then I'm just getting a steady number. Interesting there. And I talked to uh, my rep with levels and I told him that. And he was like, I bet if you had a frozen margarita loaded with sugar, you would get a spike. (laughs) So, but I'm not going to drink that. So, so I wonder what the food is doing because your blood glucose drops because alcohol is decreasing the ability of the liver to make new glucose, right? Mm-hmm. So how, what is the food doing to affect your liver in that situation? Or the food is just providing glucose. So it's, it's, I, that's my understanding. I mean, as long as I'm, yeah, as long as I'm eating carbs and those carbohydrates are turning into glucose, it's like kind yeah. of a, kind of a balance there. I don't know, I'm so gonna... Carbs are helping because I know for the people that are on a ketogenic diet, it can be really dangerous to incorporate alcohol because if you have no <laughs> carb stores, your blood glucose could drop like to a dangerous level. Yeah. So that's really good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I've care. noticed that as well, that it definitely drops my blood sugar down enough. I, across the board, have the opposite problem of you. My blood glucose tends to spike and stay up there. I rarely, rarely see a low blood sugar, which is so shocking to me for the longest time. I think we've talked about this on podcast before, but I used to associate hunger with low blood sugar. I was like, if I'm hungry, my my blood sugar is dropping. But I just, I wasn't eating the right things then. And that's when I was really into snacking. And I just felt like I had to snack to keep my blood sugar stable. And now I've tested, I'm the opposite. I'm like, Snacking actually makes it worse for me. When yeah. I'm really hungry, my blood sugar is actually not low. And knowing that takes the pressure off because then I'm not like, I have to eat something. I'm like, oh, my blood sugar is fine. This is actually pretty normal. This is exactly where I should be. Yeah. But, and how great is it to have that information in the moment? Yeah. I mean, it's been a huge mental factor for me because I used to get so much stress in situations like that. I'm like, oh my God, my blood sugar is dropping. Ah, it would feel stressed. And now I'm like, nope, I'm good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But I do have the drop when I drink alcohol as well. And I have noticed that with food, it's not as bad. 
Okay. And I found a really good article talking about alcohol and glucose, and we'll put that in the show notes if anyone wants to look at the research. It was really interesting. Great. So you never believe what caused my biggest spikes, fruit. And my day... <laughs> my day two test, remember that's the stool test that looks at your gut microbiome and blood sugar reaction across the board. Almost every fruit was really bad for me. So definitely cool to see the confirmation there. I would see a crazy spike within one hour of eating the fruit. And I tested out eating just the fruit by itself and then adding some protein and fat. Protein and fat definitely helped balance that out. But if I ate like just a handful of cherries or pineapple, it like shot up to one 138, I think was my highest. And this is really interesting to me because I have looked at the medical mediums diet because he's really big on, you know, Epstein-Barr virus. He's kind Mm -hmm. of like the main guru, I feel like on EBV right now. And his diet is so high in fruit. Like the breakfast is, uh, throw all of this in a blender, three bananas, two cups of blueberries, forget what other fruit, and then some vegetables. And I've never followed that because I, it just blew my mind that that would be okay. And now I really know it would not be okay. And he says it won't affect your glucose. That's what he says. But I think for me, that would be a big no-no. Yeah, I know there's some pretty staunch supporters of people not going keto, not going high fat, and just, they're not even necessarily like the plant-based people or the vegans. There's this whole other camp that's just like, you need to have carbs from fruit and veggies and like avoid the fat and just keep that constant glucose. And they think yeah. that if you do keto for too long or avoid carbohydrates, you're going to completely destroy your insulin or destroy your blood glucose levels. So that's always like planted a seed in the back of my mind. So I'm like on the lookout for it, but I am just mm-hmm. not seeing those results. And also I know I'm the same as you, like fruit destroys me. Yeah. And not just with the data, like I feel terrible. Feel terrible. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, I feel it. Yeah. I- And that also correlates with my oxidation status from, we talked about that test, the metabolic typing. I know I'm a fast oxidizer and fast oxidizers cannot handle sugars like that. Right. Right. I forgot about that. Fruit alone is like a no, no. Yeah. So again, I just love that it keeps like confirming. Everything's like confirming, confirming around Mm -hmm. the circle across the board. Yeah. And what you just said about like the whole carb thing, you know, there's like fruit phobia out there and the opposite camp. I just watched uh, Zach Efron's show on Netflix. I, um, I know it's yeah. not getting the best reviews. He's maybe not the most, maybe uh, the brightest. Pretty person. face, but kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, but I will say, watch the episode about when he goes to Sardinia, Italy, because it's all about that being a blue zone region. And you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with blue zones, mm-hmm. but you should see Zach Efron's face when he hears that a high protein diet will kill you. <laughs> I thought he was going to pass out when he heard that. And he's there like eating fresh homemade pasta. And these people over a hundred years old are like, yeah, we eat carbs all the time. And he said when he was filming Baywatch, he didn't have a carb for six months. Wow. And he wanted to kill someone. So just Yeah, I think (laughs) that that anger probably means something. (laughs) Yeah, your body probably needs it. Yeah. So all, all super cool stuff. And then the last thing I, I noticed not food related was infrared sauna and high intensity interval training causes really crazy swings in my blood sugar. Um, I'll see like a drop and then a spike. And I'm assuming that's because they're hormetic stressors. So mm-hmm. I just need to keep playing with that and making sure 
it's not too stressful on my body. I want to have that right balance of hormesis. So I'm going to keep playing with that. I'm the same. I've seen crazy spikes from the infrared sauna and generally it will come back down naturally within the hour. But I've noticed that if I do infrared sauna and coffee or some kind of caffeine around the same time, it's too much for me. It's too stressful. My blood glucose will spike and it tends to just like float up there and it takes a very long time to come back down. Interesting. Yeah. So we're so, we're a little different in that way. So Lauren, what else I've been talking your ear off. What else have you learned with your CGM? I'm the, so obviously I'm the same with fruit and definitely have confirmed that with the day two test. And it's funny that we have different things. I know we were together recently and eating some pineapple <laughs> and then you discovered that pineapple was not so great for you. And I had like ran to check my day two and I was like, Oh, pineapple is okay for me. And then I also tested my CGM and I was like, yep, yeah, that's okay for me. So I guess pineapple is all right, but I have tested same as you have tested fruit alone. And I've pushed that a few times just for testing sake, which I, I want to do for the experimentation, but the results came back exactly what I thought they would be. So fruit alone, especially in higher amounts, like a cup of blueberries was way too much for me, but I generally don't ever do fruit. Like I, I sprinkle it in here and there and generally don't eat it alone. The worst factor for me is bad sleep. If I have a night of bad sleep for whatever, it could be several reasons. Like maybe I was exposed to Wi-Fi and blue light too late at night. Maybe I ate too late. Maybe I had a drink and didn't fully metabolize it before I went to bed. Maybe I was emotionally stressed, whatever. Like several reasons for me to not have a good night's sleep. But the entire next day, my blood sugar will be a disaster, no matter what I do food-wise. And it seems like I have not figured out a way to stabilize it after a bad night's sleep, other than to wait it out and then that night to try to get a good night's sleep. Yeah, I don't know if there's a hack for that. I don't know. I'm playing around. So I have different supplements that I've tried. There's different herbs that are helpful for stabilizing blood sugar and mm. try them all. The most powerful or the most potent one for me is inositol. So doing like a, hmm. I have a powder that I'll put in like a smoothie or something, or I can just sprinkle it on top of my food. That seems to help, but I don't know. Yeah. I think a bad night of sleep is just, <laughs> I think right. it just throws everything off. So I just need to get back on track the night, the following night. Yeah. But I guess if, something happens, it's nice to have that hack. And I know inositol is really good for for women with PCOS, which is a, an insulin reaction. So that makes sense. Have you tried yeah. berberine on those days? I have some supplements that have, have berberine in them. I've never isolated the berberine. Hmm. That'd be interesting to see Stay because, tuned. yeah, I, I think some of the st- uh, studies are showing berberine might be as effective as metformin. Oh, wow. So I'd be curious how you do with that. Yeah, I need to get an isolated form other than a compounded. Yeah, cool. Um, Fasting has been really useful to me. I don't love fasting because I like to eat. I was hungry (laughs) and I want to eat. But every Tuesday for the last, uh, it's been like three months. I haven't done every single Tuesday, but it's been fairly consistent. And I'm doing it because I want to stabilize my blood glucose. And it does. It's like magic. So I'm trying to fast from Monday night after dinner 
until my goal is always until like three or four on Tuesday. And I don't always make it to that, but the blood sugar is super consistent. It's like 95, maybe 90, maybe a hundred if I drink Mm -hmm. a black coffee, but super stable with no food, which I think is so interesting. Yeah. Coffee tends to spike me, but it's situational. Like if I drink it too late in the morning or if I just have too much, like if I reach for generally like around a third cup tends to throw me off balance. So I've experimented with cream in it with some kind of fat versus black coffee that doesn't really seem to make a difference, surprisingly, because I've done black Mm. coffee on an empty stomach first thing in the morning and that doesn't spike me at all. It's something about like the excess caffeine. If I have too much coffee or if it's just a little too late, like after lunchtime, it's too late for me. That will spike me. Green tea, actually, not green tea, like from a tea bag, but any like energy supplement or energy drink that has green tea in it spikes me like crazy. That's so interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of like green tea energy drinks on the market and Mm -hmm. they, I'm not drinking the ones with sugar. They're completely sugar-free other than um, like some stevia or monk fruit. And I've gotten spikes up to like 150, 160 from a green tea drink. And you have the same with yerba mate. Yes, right? the mate, the herbal mate. That's I just so completely crazy. stopped drinking that. That is just not in my life anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I never want to rely on an energy drink, and I, I definitely don't need them as much now because I'm working from home. But I know when I was at the theater doing shows, running around doing clients all day, like, sure, I would grab an energy drink from time to time. Not worth it because it would spike, and I just couldn't bring it back down. Yeah, really good to know. The cow spikes me. So I love, we love Four Sigmatic. We like the mushroom coffees. And sometimes I just want to alternate between coffee and then they have like a cacao blend. And then I also have have daily harvest cacao lattes and both. So I'm assuming it's the cacao. What what did your Viome say about cacao? Do you know? Ooh, I don't know. Can I I look it up really quick? I'm not sure. Stay tuned. Okay. That'd be an interesting thing to look at. I know dark chocolate is not supposed to be uh, too stimulating for me. Mm. And then the other thing is just like emotional stress. I know that if I am feeling overly anxious or if something, I don't know, upsets me or is on my mind, I, I will have some pretty crazy fluctuations. And it's interesting. I notice that my dinner time glucose is really stable. Like I tend to do more proteins and fats throughout the day and then save a lot of my carbs for nighttime to help me wind down and produce my nighttime hormones. And I stay really stable at night, even after eating all those carbs, Hmm. but I cannot eat that same ratio of macronutrients during the day. So if I was going to eat the same dinner for lunch, it would really spike me. So I really have to stay on that, like focus on protein fat during the day and then slightly taper off the protein and increase my carbohydrates. And dinner is like always super stable unless sometimes I'll get a spike. It's not like the two hour postprandial. It's like two and a half to three hours later. If I'm on my computer or watching TV or even something like amp coil can be really stimulating to me if I do it too late at night. And I've had a spike from a variety of those things. I think it's blue light, Wi-Fi, TV, any kind of like energy stimulation. Hmm. So not the food. Food is like pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 
That's crazy. Most people wouldn't even think of that being part of the equation. Yeah. The emotional stress. So I would just say when I try to feel that anxiety now, I just try to breathe. I mean, breathing before you eat is always a great idea. Um, I definitely eat dinner a little more slowly than I eat lunch. That's like one of the number one things I always tell my clients, like before you start eating, just take some belly breaths, like make sure your cortisol is not pumping. Don't eat while you're stressed. Don't eat while you're distracted. Don't eat while you're doing five other things. And I'm not perfect because sometimes when I eat my lunch, I am in the middle of something. So I tend to eat just a little faster. And so I think that also has something to do with it. Dinner, I tend to be done with my work. I eat slower. I'm more relaxed. And dinner is like solid for me. Dinner's super stable. Yeah, and what you just said about cortisol, I think something really good for people to know is when your cortisol is up, your body is taking blood away from the digestive organs and sending it to your extremities. So you mm-hmm. can run from that super famous saber-toothed tiger that we always <laughs> love to talk tiger. about <laughs> or a mountain lion, whatever. But just keep that in mind. Like I visually think about that. I'm like, I don't want to take the blood from my digestive organs. So mm-hmm. um, sit down and breathe. I love that. That's a great tip. Yeah. Don't multitask. So just a few more things. Workouts, cardio across the board tends to drop my blood glucose. That makes sense. Heavy weights tend to spike my blood sugar. That makes sense. I know if I ever want to bring my blood glucose down, if I accidentally ate too many carbs or I don't know, had an energy drink or something or jump roping seems to be my my most useful hack. Just jump roping for 10 minutes tends to bring it back down. And just a side note on that, like it's okay to have an elevation. The problem is is when it elevates and stays up there. So I'm only doing that. I'm trying to implement those hacks if it's up there and not coming back down. Yeah, I think that's really important to note. Another product that we like for blood sugar management is Keon Lean. Yes, I've had great success with that for lunchtime, like midday. It's really helpful. Yeah, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But that has wild bitter melon. And then there's a proprietary blend of astragalus and some other things in there. But that's great to take when you have a higher carb meal, just to control that reaction. Yeah. But I do like, I love that the supplements are available and I think there's a lot of power in these herbs, but I really think if you can manage your blood glucose without supplementation, Oh yeah. It's more powerful. Absolutely. So I'm almost like I've used it here and there, but I'm trying to avoid it in excess because I want to figure this out alone. I want my body to take care of it and it should be able to take care of it. Oh, absolutely. That's it's important to collect all this data and just watch the trends. And again, the trends are more important than the actual numbers. Yeah. Um, I actually don't take Keon lean that often. Like my bottles last forever. Cause I really just take them. If I'm going out to a restaurant or I'm going on vacation, that's when I'll pack okay. it because I know like maybe I'm going to have a little bit of bread or maybe extra yeah. carbs. So yeah. Which, and it's funny because with the shutdown, I haven't been going anywhere. So I haven't really been using it at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of nice. You can just rely on the power of your body. Yeah. It's a good time for everyone to reset. Yeah. Anything else, Laura? No, I mean, we definitely will keep you posted. I'm still on this journey. I'm going to keep experimenting. I'm going to get another set of CGMs because I still think there's so much to learn from it. So we'll keep you posted as we explore their options, but we really encourage you guys to get one if you are interested and want to experiment on yourself because it's so personal and 
this is just more evidence that there is no perfect diet. There's not one right way. And each of us need to find that own puzzle for ourselves. So highly encourage it. We will connect you with resources to unlock levels in NutriSense. And we're really excited to have Dr. Casey Means on here so she can go a little bit more into the science because I know we just like fairly dipped our feet in the water. If you have any specific questions about blood glucose or just want to get started even without the monitor, write to us, ask us questions. We can always respond um, or do another recap episode. I'm really fascinated with this topic. I think it's not going away. Yeah, definitely. This topic is super exciting. So make sure you stay tuned for our episode with Dr. Casey Means in just a few weeks. And thank you again for joining us today. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.